You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. Okay, so we're going to do several sermons here on salt and light, and we're going to talk a little bit about salt and light there at the very end. I hope you kind of know what that means. If you don't, we're talking, really, it's like talking about our impact, you know, the impact that we have as the church on our society. And if we were going to gauge our, our, our impact, you know, how, how good a job we're doing impacting society, there's a lot of things we could use to kind of get there, right? There's a lot of things we could use to, like, gauge this and gauge that. And I've got to tell you, a lot of them that we might use, uh, not real, you know, not real excited about, you know, how I'd say we're doing a great job. Uh, not real excited about some of them. Feel like we're letting down in some areas, and we need to be doing a better job as the salt and light of this earth. You know, but there's one uh, that I would want to bring your attention to today, and uh, it's, it's going to set us up for our intro for this whole sermon series. And it's a, it's a survey by Barna that was just done, and, and uh, the, the slide says it's a survey of Christian millennials, but actually the survey was for all age groups and, and uh, generations, but uh, the, the stats I want to show you are all about Christian millennials, so that's why I threw that word up there so you, so you would know this. Okay, and I, I'm, I know, listen, some of you millennials, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a millennial bashing. So, no, 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 it's not. Don't, don't look at it that way. Don't, don't worry about that, okay? But you're gonna see, I think you're going to see something that's going to surprise you in, in, uh, in these stats that we're going to look at uh, from the survey, okay? So, so here's the first one. <clears throat> uh, 96% of Christian millennials agree with this statement that part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. So that's, that's awesome. And, and I know there's a, there's a lot of people, you know, that are uh, coming down on millennials and, and even in the church, millennial Christians. But that's awesome that 96% of them, they say it, that sharing my faith is part of my faith, okay? Uh, the next, next uh, one is 94% agree with this statement. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. That's awesome. So Christian millennials say this. They agree with this, that the, the best, number one, Superlative, top, right? The best thing that can happen to somebody is to come to know. I don't know about those four percent deadbeats, right? You know, or six percent deadbeats. You know, but the rest of them say that is the very best thing that can happen to somebody. This is Christian millennial saying this. All right, and the next one, eighty-six percent agree with this statement that when someone raises questions about faith, I know how to respond. That's encouraging to me. That they say, they say 86%, that's, that's 8 out of 10, almost 9 out of 10 of millennials, Christian millennials say, if somebody has a question about faith, I know how to respond. I don't have to go look it up or send them somewhere else. I know how to respond if someone's got a question about faith. That's amazing. And this next one is amazing too. It's a little bit lower number, but still, 73% agree with this statement. I am gifted at sharing my faith with other people. Christian millennials say they are not just up to the task, they say they are gifted. They, this, the, what, 73% either agree or strongly agree with that statement that they are gifted to share their faith. Here's something really amazing about this. That number for Christian millennials saying that they are gifted to sharing their faith is higher for millennials than it is for Christians of any other generation. That means even... even it's even higher for them than it is for you old folks, you know, us, us all, boomers and busters and Xers and all of that, you know, that, that millennials 
say they, not just that they can handle it, they say they're gifted at 73%. So if we're looking down and uh, looking down at them or looking down our nose or looking down at the ground, looking dejected, understand th this is what they say. They say, I'm, I'm, we're gifted to do this. That's amazing. Okay, but then the next one really pulls all of this together of where we're going today. And is 47% agree with this statement. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Wait, what? I mean, really? Think about that. Look, look, at the, look at the first statement again. Part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. But then at the bottom, the, the exact same people, okay? This is not two surveys. One survey, the exact same people, 96% agree with that. Half of them say, but it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will share this. What, what, what's happening here? How is there this, this conflict of, of emotions and feelings and faith? And how is there this conflict in them? I mean, here's, to me, here's the, the, the real danger of what's going on here. We look at that, you know, here's what's happening is what they believe up there at the top, what they believe to be truth, they're doubting. That they're, they're, that they're doubting that they're, okay, so I, I want to draw our attention really away from millennials right now, okay? I want us to talk about all of us. But understand, this is a segment of the population. And, and with every generation, there is a segment of that, that generation that says this, that I believe it should be, that it is part of my faith to share Christ, but I believe it's wrong to share faith with someone who already knows another faith and wants to, so what's going on there? Where's this conflict coming? How, what is happening that, look at, look at the tragedy here, is that there is a segment of the Christian population that is doubting what they say they know. That they know, but they're doubting. How, how, how is this happening? How, what is, what is, I, I want, that's, really, that's really what I want to share with you now to, to set up this sermon series, Okay. Before we get to talking about us being the impact, everything, here's what I want you to get. Is, is we're gonna, if we're going to have real impact, we're going to have to get some things straight. Okay, so how is this happening? Well, let's go. i got a quote from David Kinnaman, who is with the Barna Research Group, okay? And he says this, and this is kind of wordy, okay? So kind of hang in here, listen with me as we read together. Sharing the gospel today is made harder than any time in recent memory, okay? So you got that, right? So sharing the gospel today is harder than any other time in recent history. Why? Because of an overall cultural resistance to conversations that highlight people's differences. Okay, so you, you get that? It, it's harder today to share your faith. Okay, and this is a guy that works with Barna that they do the research all the time. And, and, and he says it's harder to share your faith today because there's a cultural resistance. You know, in, in our culture today, there is a resistance to talk with people about the differences that we have in our faith. Okay, so in other words, and when I say that, I mean in my other words, okay? This is the, this is the way I would uh, uh, pull together what he's saying here, is, is that we want peace and unity more than we want truth and honesty. That we, we know this is truth. I believe it is part of my faith to share my faith, but we want this peace. No, not just the truth. We want peace. We want unity. We, want, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so maybe it's wrong. Even though I know this is true, but maybe it's wrong to do this. Okay, so here, here's the rub. Here's the rub. Is we're mixing 
fact with emotion. As a matter of fact, here's what we do as, as human beings. We create emotional truth. I'm not talking about this culture. I'm not talking about this generation. I'm, not I'm talking about every generation, every culture that's ever existed. We create emotional truth. And emotional truth is not factual truth. Let me, let me tell you the difference. Let me, let me see if I can explain the difference to you, okay? If I were to ask you the question, this is, this is factual truth. If I were to ask you the question, I need you to answer me, okay, if, out loud if you possibly can. What is two plus two? Okay, y'all sure about that? Yeah, we're sure, right? <laughs> okay, so today, two plus two is four. What about last week? What was two plus two last week? I answered, what is two plus two? Last week? It was the same. What about on the day you were born, what was two plus two? Right. On the day you die, when you die, and you don't even know what day that is yet, so this might be a trick question, right? Right? When the day you die, what's two plus two going to be? Exactly. So right here, right now, Gardendale Civic Center, the exhibition hall, standing right, what is, in this room right now, what is two plus two right here? Okay, y'all getting tired of this yet? Okay, hang on, we're going there, okay? And, and what about when you get home this afternoon and you're at your house and you're just chilling out, you know, vegging out on the couch or whatever. What, at your house, what will two plus two be? At your house, right? You know, and, and, and Lexi, you know, uh, I asked her in the first service, you know, I said, what about in India? You know what she said two plus two was in India? It, it was four. You know why? That's, that's why I like math. You know, there is no I after E except after C. We don't have to conjugate no numbers or anything like that, you know. It's just two plus two is always four. That is factual truth. Okay, but then we create emotional truth. All right, now here's where I'm going to really offend some people. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm probably going to, if I'm not careful, I'm going to get some people mad right here, okay? Because I'm going to talk about some emotional truth that we create. Just one big one right here. Here it is. All dogs go to heaven. That's an emotional truth, all right? Now, let me tell you something. I don't agree with that. I don't agree that all dogs go to heaven, all right? Because y'all know what a black lab is? Labrador retriever, black one, you know? And they, they are awesome animals. I mean, they're great. They're great family animals. You know, they, they, they're protective. You know, they're, they're loving. They're good with kids, all those kinds of things. They're, they're just amazing, wonderful family animals, except for one. The one that my uncle owned. His name was Barrett. And I remember him as Black Barrett. His head was about this big around. You know, you know th th he didn't look anything like really the, the stature but he, he was registered I mean he that's why they bought him I mean, he was registered that's why they had him and they were raising black labs and he had this big old huge head and everything I mean he, he had to be a Labrador on steroids they should have suspended him for whatever he was involved in you know because I, I, I mean that's what he was and, and and you know how most dogs are if they're leery of you or they want you to stay away you know they kind of can set back just a little bit. I mean, if they're really upset, you know, they'll set back just a little bit, getting ready to pounce and whatever, and they'll start growling or barking or whatever. You know, even a dog that's scared, you know, will do that a lot of times, not Barrett. Now, now I got I to say this, okay? I got to say, Barrett is the kind of dog I want protecting my grandkids. He loved kids. He didn't like me. I, as far as I know, I'm the only person in the world he didn't like, okay? Uh, but, you know, 
with me, everybody else, he was fine. But with me, he, he didn't back away. You know, he didn't see me coming in the yard and he start growling. You know what he'd do? He'd just kind of just walk up slowly beside me. You know, he wasn't waiting for me to get in his space. He'd come get in my space. <laughs> and he'd just stand there beside me and, with, you know, with his mouth just right here, <laughs> this close. And he would growl this guttural, gravelly growl out of the pits of hell and I would melt in my socks. <laughs> because this was not a dog that's going to bite you and you need a Band-Aid. This is a dog, you go, you go into the hospital and they're going to have to reattach some limbs in a little while, you know, if he gets into you. Because he was huge. And, I, and I, know, I know dogs can sense fear, and Barrett could sense my fear. You know, I, everything I could do. It's didn't have, I saw my, my uncle one day, I thought he was going to beat Barrett to death because, of the, because he was about to attack me. And he, he stopped him. I, I thought he was going to kill Barrett, and, I, and I'm just waiting. He's going to get you in a minute. And my, uncle, my uncle was a big guy. Barrett never jumped on him, but I thought he was going to any minute. So I don't believe all dogs are going to heaven is what I'm saying. And if they are, I'm going to need some protection when I get there, okay? <laughs> if Barrett is there, I'm going to need some protection. But, you know, there is at least one dog that if I could pick to be in heaven with us, I would pick for Reese to be there. I don't have time to share all that. Ask me and I'll tell you. Or ask Brent, he'll tell you. Or ask Dava and she'll tell you. Uh, ask Chris. They'll tell you about this wonderful dog that was in our life. And so, you know, I'd say if there's going to be one dog in heaven, one dog in the afterlife that I want to see, it would be Reese. But you know what? I don't get a vote in that. We're talking about the afterlife. I'm not in charge. You know, so we, we don't get to vote. To, how many of y'all believe? We don't, you know what? That doesn't matter. That's emotional truth. Oh, but pastor, I know. No, listen, listen. Here's what I know in the Bible. But this is what I don't know. But, it's emo but pastor, I just believe. Okay, see, that's, that's the danger. It's when we start saying, well, now I know the Bible says this, but pastor, I believe. When you say, I know this is what the Bible, but I believe, then we're on dangerous ground. We're in dangerous territory. We're, we're, we're now beginning to create emotional truths. And then what we're doing is we are elevating the emotional truth to the same place as factual truth. I can't tell you, are there dogs in heaven? I, I believe there's going to be dogs in the afterlife. I don't know. And I may be wrong about that. But again, that's an emotional truth. I don't know. I don't have scripture for it. I say, well, why you got to go to scripture? Because well, the reason I got to go to scripture about it is because I, I'm, I'm not the, the, the voice on this. I'm not the decision. I don't get to choose. We don't get to vote. The afterlife, that's all God's, you know, and whatever he says. Let me give you a couple of scriptures, and I don't have them right here on the screen. Uh, they're, they're in the sermon notes at the Connect page if you want to see them, if you want to prove that pastor's not just trying to pull something over on you. Uh, I, I didn't put them here because I knew I, I'm going to have a hard time not just staying here and preaching a long, long time. You know, uh, there's, 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 a, you know there's, a spirit, there's, a, there's a spiritual thing, a spiritual term for this that, that I, I want to make sure I don't do. It's called getting long-winded. Y'all ever heard that spiritual term? I want to make sure I don't do that, okay? So that's why the scripture isn't there, but, but let me see if you can help me on it. I think you, you know part of this right here. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, the truth shall, the truth shall set you free. And so a lot of you've heard that before, right? You've heard that. The truth shall set you free. The truth, okay, we're talking factual truth, merciful truth, no, no, no. The truth shall set you free. Did you know that's not all of that verse? 
Did you know there's something before that in that same verse? And if you take that just that little bit, you're missing what is really being said there and what Christ is. He's talking to his disciples. You're missing what he's saying. He's saying, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not you will feel the truth. Not you will be emotional about the truth. Not you will believe or, or your hope or anything. No, you will know what the truth is, and then the truth will set you free. Well, how do I know what the truth is? Okay, glad you asked. Verse 31, which is the verse right before that, he, again, he's talking to his disciples, and he said, if you continue in my word and you stick with it and you hang on to my word and you, you dig in, then you will know the truth because of my word, and the truth will set you free. You see, it's all about that. So, so what we're talking about here is we're talking about real truth, not, not emotion. Does, not, emotion has nothing to do with it. It's not about emotion. It's not about what you believe. It's not about what you think. It's not about, uh, you know, what you voted on in some Facebook poll or whatever or one of those little games that you play. It's not about any of that. It's about truth. So let me show you another, in, in another scripture that's there on the Connect page in the sermon notes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. You know what verse 11 tells us? Verse 11, verse 10 and 11 you know what they tell us? They tell us in the last, and listen, the very last times. I mean, this is talking about after the rapture and those kinds of things. This, you know, not this particular day right here, right now, but it says at the end of verse 11 that there will be many people that they will believe a lie. They'll believe a lie. Now, how's that going to happen? You know, how, you know why this is going to happen? It's because there's going to be a delusion. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be something that confuses everybody, a delusion, and that's going to cause them to believe a lie. Now, that delusion, where's that coming from? Well, you can read that one way to say that, that God's, God's just saying, I'm just going to make all y'all just not believe what's true anymore. Or you can look at it like, um, like, like with Job when, when Satan was accusing Job and, and then Satan came away from God and attacked Job that really it wasn't God's will for that to happen, but that's what he can't. So you can look at it a lot of different ways there, but it, none of that really matters in this because it's not about where the delusion came from, but it's why the delusion came. Because if you back up a little bit more, you find out what is said about them is they rejected the truth. Okay, so get this. They believe a lie because there was delusion, because they rejected the truth. Now, think about what it means to reject the truth. An ignorant person cannot reject truth because they don't know the truth. You have to know truth to reject truth. So, so to get to this place of, of believing lie, you've got to reject the truth. Okay, so I know that's not talking about us necessarily today, but you, you need to understand the concept is that it's possible for me and you to get so deluded that, that we reject truth and we get so deluded by something else that we begin to believe lies. And what you and I have to do is we have to keep all these kinds of things separate. So understand this. If there is conflict between your emotions and your truth, then you got a problem. You see, these things aren't separate. They're not, they're not one or the other. They work together. And if you've got conflict, if your emotions are conflicting with the truth that you know, and I think that's what, that's what the survey was kind of showing us, is that our, our emotions are conflicting with the truth. And the reason is because we're letting the emotions get in the middle of our truth. 
And we've got to keep them separate and understand the context of where they belong. Okay, so here it is. Truth is what you know. It's facts. Truth is something you know. But then that other part of the emotions, the wanting peace and all those kinds of things, that, that's, that's, that's not something you know. That's something you feel. And, and when you start elevating what you feel into the place of truth, or maybe you try to move truth over here into a place of, well, i got to feel truth, and that's where the danger comes. That's where, that, that's, where, that's where our struggle is. And they're all important because I, I know you may, be, you may be looking at that right there and say we want peace and unity more than truth and honesty. And you may be thinking, Pastor, saying truth and honesty is the most important thing. No, they're all important. If you're going to make chocolate chip cookies this afternoon, let me ask you, what's the most important ingredient? Is there one that you've got to have and the others you can do without? I know there's some kind of substitutions you can make, right? Something about, I don't know, eggs. If you don't want to use eggs, you can use something else. You cooks, y'all know that stuff. I don't know that stuff. If, if I'm making chocolate chip cookies this afternoon, uh, we're all meeting down at Panera Bread and I'm buying them, okay? Uh, because I, I don't know. I just know. But you know, what is the most, uh, well, I'd say, you know, you got to have chocolate chips or it's not chocolate chip cookies. But you got to have sugar, right? Or you, you got to have water or you got milk or eggs and flour. I don't know what all goes into them, but you got to have all of that. And if you don't have all those things, I mean, if you got everything but, you know, the flour, or you got everything but the sugar, or you got everything but the chocolate chips, you might have something edible, but it is not what it was intended to be. Salt and light. If we don't have all the ingredients that we need to have, we will not be the salt or the light that we were intended to be. We have to have all of them. And if we don't have them, that's dangerous. So let me show it to you right here. The next slide, at the top right there, says, peace without honesty is a mask. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When someone wants peace so much that they won't be honest with you? I mean, it, it, this, is, this is one of the problems we have with racism, I think, still, that's still hanging around in our country. We can't admit we still have problems with racism, so we just put on a mask. We've got to have peace. So that we can't have the honesty. And we, don't, we just don't deal with it. We say, oh, no, everything's good, whatever. And we, uh, the same thing in your marriage. If you've got to have peace at all costs and you're not willing to be honest with your spouse, you're living behind a mask. And one day, eventually, you know what's going to happen? All that honesty is going to explode in your spouse's face. Right? And then what's going to happen? You, you're going to be all the way over here with all your peace and no honesty. And then you're just going to explode all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is, next slide, truth without unity, which can be brutal. If anybody ever gives you truth and there's no connection, there's no relationship, you know how brutal that can be. When somebody tells you truth without any, without any understanding of emotion or connection or unity or want to, it can be brutal. And so, so you know what you've got to have? You've got to have all of them. It's just like chocolate chip cookies. If you don't have them all, if you don't have all the ingredients, it'll never be what it's supposed to be. Psalm chapter 85, verse 10. We kind of think they're, they're, they're um, separate from one another. But no, they can all be there. Look at, look at verse 10. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. All of them. Love and truth. Righteousness 
and peace. All those things together. Now, here's the context. Psalm 85. And, and listen, for those of you who say, well, what pastor tells me on Sunday morning is not enough. i got to get some more. I'm, I love people like that. I hope you're one of those. Go to Psalm 85 this week and dig into that and just see. These people, these were the Israelites, and, and they had gotten away from God. They had walked away from him, and, and they, they ended up living uh, in captivity, kind of like we talked last week. They, they were living in captivity, and, and then they begin to get delivered, and they start praying and asking God for deliverance. And then they start saying, you know what's going to happen, God? When you start delivering us, we know what's going to happen. Here's the thing that's going to happen. And this is one of the things they start saying. This is going to happen. Uh, love and truth are going to meet. Uh, righteousness and peace are going to kiss in our life. All of these things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. You know? And so we kind of think that these things are separate, that, that, that we have to hide what we really think and know so that we can have peace. No, we can have it all. Because God brings it all together right here. And, and, and when we pick one or the other, that's the danger that, that we're looking there at the very top. I mean, it's a mask or it's brutal, one or the other, if we don't pick to have all those things. So, so here's what we've got to understand is we, we've got to know what we know we've got to know. And once you know, once you know, don't ever let what you feel change what you know. Okay, that's tweetable, okay, I, I, to tell you, all right? Well, don't ever let what you feel change what you know. You need to know what you know. That's what happened in the survey that we started with today, is what, what we know, 96% of us, what we know, half of us are saying, but wait a minute, my feelings are making me wonder, but I know this, but my feelings, don't ever let what you feel change what you know. What you know is the fact. You've got to know the facts, the facts, the truth, are the things you know. And then the emotions, the peace that you want to have, the unity, the, the, the connecting, not, not hurting people's feelings, all that. That's, that's the attitude or the way that you share the truth that you know. And you know, the truth doesn't ever change. But the way I share truth changes. You know, some people, if you've been a Christian for a long time, man, you just need me be in your face both truth sometimes maybe. But if you're a young Christian, man, we got, we got to teach you some things, got to take some time with you and all those guys. So the truth never changes. Don't ever let, you need to understand what the truth is, and don't ever let what you feel change what you know. Okay, so I got one last little thing I want to share with you before we, before we close because I opened this thing with evangelism and, I, and a question about evangelism and how millennials and, and other generations too know that sharing the faith is part of their faith, but then isn't evangelism, isn't that a dirty word and a bad thing and whatever, whatever. So I can't leave that there, okay? So what do we do? Let's, let's look at some truth, right? Right? Isn't that what we need to do? Is evangelism something we need to do or not? Let's look at some truth. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says God wants everyone to hear the good news. And, and that scripture is on the, uh, on the Connect page, sermon notes as well. And what it's talking about is like in the last days, how God said all nations are going to hear the good news. And then the end is going to come after that. So it's God's will. I mean, that's one of the things that's going to happen before the end of time. So it's God's will that they all know. And in Matthew 28, 19, 20, it, it, we're, it shows us that we are expressly commissioned by Jesus to tell others about him. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve everything I've, to, I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, is evangelism something we need to do or not? I look at those two verses, and I ask you this question. What else do we need to know? 
I meant those two right there. What else, what else do you want me to tell you? Is there anything else to tell you? Because God wants everyone to hear, and as Christians, we are expressly commissioned to tell everyone about Jesus. So what else do we need? To, there's nothing else we need to know. Uh, we can discuss it, how we do it, our emotions and all that. Yes, we need to, and we need to bring that into how we share the truth. We need to bring that in. But, but all of our emotions and all those things will never change how we really feel, what we really know about the truth. We cannot let our emotions, how we feel, change what we know. Okay? So, take me to... Uh, uh, well, yeah, I've got, I've got this quote. I'll, I'll hurry through it. I was going to skip, but let, let's hurry through it real quick. This is a quote from Brady Shearer. Here's my new paradigm for sharing my faith. Go ahead to the next, li- next line. I believe I was put on this earth to make it a better place. Now, th- you may not say that. A lot of people don't say that. I, I was put on, that's why I was put on here. You say, well, I've got a purpose, and, and that's not exactly my purpose, but think about it. Whatever your purpose is is basically to make this thing this whole earth better, right? Or people's lives. Okay, so we can kind of agree with that. The next line says, I believe the best way to do that is through love. Okay, so some of you may think, no, it's beating people over the head with the truth. That's not quite it either, you know. But the best way to do that is through love. That's how Christ did it. That's how Christ reached out and made impact in people's lives. And then thirdly, the last thing he says, I believe the best example of love is Christ. So it's like, again, let me ask you the question, what else do we need to know? I mean, if we agree with all those statements, what else do we need to know? If we agree with those two scriptures that that we just referred to on the previous slide, what else do we need to know? Nothing else. We know all that. So Matthew, let's go there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. So finally we get to salt and light. Closing this sermon with the salt and light that this sermon series is all about. Where Jesus says, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its savor. Think about savor. You you might not use that word, but think savory, taste, flavor. That's what he's talking about. Okay, so if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. That's another little sermon there too. I don't want that to happen to me because I've lost my flavor. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Salt and light. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, okay? But think about what he's saying here. Last night as I was looking over my sermon notes for our last time and uh, slides were all done, all that kind of stuff. Just looking over them again, Colin, my little eight-year-old grandson, crawled up beside me. He wanted me to do something on the computer for him. He, wanted me to, he likes writing stories. He wanted me to type one out for him. And I said, let me finish this right here. So he started reading what I, you know, he started reading my sermon notes. And he was reading this part right here. And I said, I said, will you tell me? He read it out loud. I, and so I said, will you tell me what happens in the dark? You know, when Christians aren't the light they're supposed to be, what happens in the dark? You know what he said? He's an eight-year-old boy. What do you think he said? You get scared. (laughs) And you know what? That wasn't in my notes. And I said, I was going to say something else tomorrow, but I am going to use that tomorrow morning. Because when we aren't the light we are supposed to be, the rest of the world walks in fear. Because there's darkness. There's no light. There's no, there's, there's, you know, here's what I was going to share with you. Is when, when, in darkness, what happens? You lose stuff in darkness, right? You lose things. You can even lose your way. And if you lose your way long enough, you lose hope of ever finding your way again, right? So we lose stuff because of darkness. So when there is no light, what happens? People lose stuff. People walk in fear. People walk lost not knowing what to do next. And when there is no salt, I'm going to say this real quick, okay? When there is no salt, what what does that mean? Salt flavors things, right? You know, every time I go to Chick-fil-A, Jack's or whatever, and I get the hash browns, I say, give me a pack of salt. 
because they don't salt their stuff. You know, it's like, I've got to have some salt on these taters here, okay? So give me some salt. Without, the salt. without salt. So what happens when the church, when the Christians aren't the salt? There's no flavor. When a Christian is part of a conversation, there should be a flavor of Christ in the conversation. When a Christian is part of a relationship, there should be the flavor of Christ in that relationship. Uh, when a Christian is part of a long Facebook post comments and all that kind of stuff, you know, when a Christian is one of those, there should be the, somebody ought to say, oh, there's some Jesus in the middle of that. When a Christian is part of something, there should be the flavor of Christ in it. When a Christian is part of something, there should be light, not confusion, not darkness, not something to bring fear or to cause people to lose their way or to lose hope when Christians are part of something then there should be light there should be illumination there should be wisdom there should there should be excitement there should be encouragement there should be something that encourages and impels someone to try one more time that I can make it and believe in themselves again and believe in the God of this universe that's what should happen when a Christian is in the middle of something because we are the salt and we are the light that's what this sermon series is going to be about. I pray you won't miss a single Sunday. But let, 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 me, let me wrap this little evangelism thing up one last little time. I got a last little quote there. Throw it up there for me, if you will. Because some of you say, I don't know how to evangelize. Yes, you do. And it, but I'll tell you, to make it real simple to, for you, D.T. Niles said this, evangelism is just one beggar telling another where to find bread. That's all evangelism is. It's just telling somebody where to find bread. And you've already found bread, right? You ate it. You, you're here. You're, you're, you're being nourished over that. You know where to find bread. You know, so you got a friend that's struggling and they don't have any friends and they feel like, you know, they, don't, they, they, ju they just need some stability and some support. You say, well, take them to your small group. I, I don't, don't send them to a small group. Take them to your small group. Invite them to your small group. Or, or, or maybe you've got friends that, that they've got kids and they're worried about the friends that their, their kids aren't making friends or maybe they're making the wrong friends or whatever. Then, then tell them. Say, hey, my kids are, you know, in, in kids' clubs at... 29-11 on Wednesday night or kids church on Sunday morning while we're in church or someone who's just lost and just tell them what God has done that, that's all evangelism is it's, it's somebody saying I'm struggling right here and say you know what my pastor preached on that about three weeks ago go to the podcast page and you can listen to the sermon you don't have to have all the answers you don't have to even know where the scriptures are Evangelism is just telling somebody who's hungry where to find bread. And you were there, and so you know what it's like. You are already equipped to do that. And for us to say we don't know how, I got a stat to prove. Yes, you do. Because even the Christian millennials in the room, most of you say, I am gifted in sharing my faith with other people. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.